You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The big question, amid all the rhetoric and threats of escalation, is does this change matters on the ground? Still, Ukraine pushes forwards despite slight Russian gains around Bakhmut. Russia still struggles to match its status as a nuclear power with real progress and strategy on the ground. Putin's bid to appear strong, perhaps a reminder of how weak this war of choice has left him. Hmm, yeah. And uh, nobody knows what's in that uh, guy's head, Putin, or what's going to happen next. A little analysis from the Washington Post in a second. I I did a little research last night just because I got some pushback on the text line when I said a couple times yesterday, that Russia has the largest nuclear arsenal in the world, and some people said, no, they don't, and in fact, they do. But uh, just to hit you with the numbers, uh, Russia has almost 6,000 nuclear warheads, which is the largest in the entire world. Mm -hmm. They were always ahead of us in terms of nuclear warheads during the Cold War. To hit you with a little uh, history and numbers compared to where we are now. Now, keep that number in mind. Russia has the largest nuclear arsenal at 6,000. In the 80s, at the height of the Cold War, we had 32,000. Wow. Russia currently has 6,000. We had 32,000 at the height of the Cold War. Russia had 45,000 nuclear warheads in Great the 80s. Scott, as was often discussed at the time, enough to blow up the entire world many times over. Oh, over and over and over again. And how about one more time for good measure? Hey, there's still a little rubble over there. The peak being in 1986. And and Russia still has enough, and we have enough to blow up the world many times over and over and over again. Part of it is because these are uh, H-bombs, not A-bombs. Do a little research on that. Nobody's ever actually used an H-bomb in a, in a war, and oh, oh my God, if that let's ever happens. Don't, yeah. yeah, let's hope none of us ever see that happen. But isn't that st- a stunning number? 45,000 nuclear warheads that Russia had at the same time that we had 32,000. 
Wow. And that, wow. Well, that's how it got uh, brought back down between Reagan and Gorbachev, who recently died, was at some point, I think everybody realized hey, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, what, 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 are we, what are we doing here? Right. Yeah. Uh, hence the SALT treaties. Among other things. Uh, you know, I was reminded the other day, uh, one of our brilliant listeners emailed us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com, uh, reminding me of a quote that he said I brought to the show, but I don't recall, and it doesn't matter, but uh, a military analyst described uh, Russia militarily as a midget with one gigantic arm. Hmm. I'd pay, they I'd are, pay, I'd pay to see that act. They, oh, boy. Oh, boy. No filter. You got no. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, militarily, not impressive at all, but with a nuclear arsenal that could wipe out humanity. Right. Which And, uh, and sure enough, they were uh, even less a paper tiger than we thought. It's like a poor quality paper, paper tiger. Right. Although um, plenty strong enough to kill the tens of thousands, which is a horror. Yeah. Uh, and with conventional weapons, you know, they're, they're raping and murdering men, women, and children every single day, and it's it's just awful. Back to Torture. The, back to the yeah. war where we are now. Washington Post analysis that I thought was pretty interesting. So the current numbers that are believed six months into the war, forty to 80,000 Russian soldiers are dead, wounded, or have deserted. Forty to 80,000. I mean, that's an unbelievable number. Yeah, it's six the low months. number is 40. Even the low number is shocking. Some 6,200 military vehicles among Russia's most sophisticated have been destroyed or abandoned. Deserters and refuseniks. That's an actual word. I didn't know that was an actual word. Deserters and refuseniks now make up an estimated 20 to 40% of frontline units. Wow. Haven't we learned from Mike Lyons that if a unit loses 15%, it's considered yeah. no longer yeah. operational? Yeah. Back to the analysis. Will Russia's partial mobilization succeed in stemming the tide and increase Russian military effectiveness? My research on the sources of military effectiveness suggests that's unlikely. Newly mobilized soldiers are likely to be poorly trained, their prior combat experience a distant memory, a high death rate among officers in the Russian army, which we've heard a lot about, in part because of deliberate Ukrainian targeting, has left Putin's military without sufficient trainers to train these new people. In the race to master and implement the lessons of this war, the Ukrainians have surged far ahead. This means Russian troops will be facing more skilled Ukrainian forces than they were six months ago, while Russians are less trained and skilled. Hmm. And the Ukrainians have mastered the tenets of decentralized warfare by small, highly motivated and independent units. Nor does Russia have the equipment stocks to make good on its losses. Ancient tanks now, cannibalized from Soviet-era stockpiles, are already on the front lines. In many cases, the tanks are far older than their operators. <laughs> that, that's got to be annoying. You're a, a 25-year-old tank operator, and the tank is from the 80s. You're thinking, what the hell? You got like all analog dials and stuff like that. Not that there's anything wrong with analog, but yeah, wow, wow. If the best equipped, and the final analysis here, if the best equipped and trained Russian soldiers couldn't seize Kiev or hold Kharkiv, it isn't clear why this second wave would fare any better, which is a pretty good question. Well, and if you had the rate of desertion and refusenikism, that you did among those who had volunteered to be in the Russian military, 
those who are yanked out of their jobs and farms and and living rooms and all. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine. You, well, we've been discussing over the last couple of days the fact that uh, one-way flights out of Russia have been completely full, and now Russia has banned the sale of any airline ticket to anyone, any man between the ages, I think it's 18 and 54. Whoa, I didn't hear that. Don't hold me down on that upper uh, age, but... That's our target demo. You are legally (laughs) forbidden from leaving Russia at this point because so many thousands of men are fleeing. Yeah. And uh, there can't hardly be... What percentage of men in Russia right now think this is a, a cause worth fighting for? As opposed to Ukraine, where it's like 99% are willing to lay down their lives to fight for their country. What percentage of Russians, Russian men are willing to do that? It's got to be very, very low. With crappy equipment and corrupt leadership? So the ambassador to Ukraine, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine yesterday, echoing what the president said in front of a, a chunk of the U.N., said the United States is prepared to support Ukraine throughout even a prolonged conflict. We're in it to win it. She didn't say that. That would be a little too cutesy. Uh, and will respond decisively if Russia uses nuclear weapons, the U.S. ambassador said yesterday. So we uh, we are making all the noises you would make if you're very, very serious about this. I watched a whole bunch of videos yesterday of crowds gathering on main streets in various cities, including there in Moscow. Send Putin to the trenches. They were chanting. Oh, that's a good chant. Yeah. They were chanting in Moscow yesterday. So far, according to Ian Bremer, uh, 1,252 people have been arrested in 38 cities across Russia for protesting the war. Huh. We'll see if that grows or if the authoritarian got on the uh, got on that and scared enough people off, as often happens. Well, all that's very heavy. So now a little humor. The United States. Nations Security Council is meeting today to discuss Russia's seven-month war in Ukraine with Russia on the panel. (laughs) Wow. How do you even go through the motions? The agenda for the council's meeting is Russia's apparent impunity in the war, and the session was scheduled for this week to draw attention to Ukraine, etc., etc. I wish our Uh, representative, our ambassador, whoever, and I wish everybody would just, every time that it's their turn to talk, would just say, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous until they turn off your microphone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Security Council diplomat said there was no plan to introduce a resolution or action to impose sanctions on Russia. He said he expected that individual member states would address the latest developments during speeches, as well as discuss the new evidence discovered in Ukraine of human rights violations by Russia. As one of the five permanent members of the Security Council, Russia has veto power and could block any action against itself anyway. But I tell you that I vow this. Russia has veto power. One veto means it can't happen from the people that are committing the atrocities that they're they're that they've gathered to discuss. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Well, maybe, but I, again, I vow this: there are pitchers of ice water on that table. That ice will be rattled. That water will be drank. There will be croissants. They will be eaten. Some of them buttered. And we will give really nasty looks to the Russian ambassador. I know. And then we'll go back to giving speeches. I know what I'll do. My son's in trouble for something, and uh, me, mom, and the kid will have a meeting, and we all have equal veto power on his punishment. <laughs> and if Good he decides, 
he decides, I don't think we should punish me, then, well, I guess we won't punish him because that's the way we've set up this committee. But there are some damn fine speeches delivered. God dang it. You got to be a certain breed of person, I guess, to think that these incremental getting togethers of the WHO or the UN Security Council or whatever are the way to fix the problems of the world. Whatever. Good for you. I suppose you could argue we will send an unequivocal message that you have no support. You have nothing but condemnation and it ain't going to end. I guess. They caught fat Leonard in Venezuela, among other stories. Yes. You know why they caught him? Slow afoot. Too damn fat. Too damn fat. Fat. Uh, Much on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Southwest Airlines surprised passengers on a recent flight from Long Beach, California to Hawaii. They surprised the the passengers with free ukuleles uh, and free on-plane lessons. Brilliant. What could be more relaxing on a six-hour flight than hundreds of people playing the ukulele for the first time? So the answer is yes, yes. There is something worse than a child kicking your chair for an entire flight. I get that they're like, you know, trying to have fun. That's not what flights are for. They're not meant to be fun. They're for sleeping or just staring straight ahead, pretending that you're listening to something on your headphones so you don't have to talk to this person right next to you. Yeah, beginners on instruments are tough. Uh, It's a cute idea. Oh, boy. If you could limit it to, like, I don't know, 15 minutes. I was going to say, everybody gets 10 minutes to mess around with this instrument you can't play. Then you got to put it away. Although they gave, uh, you know, lessons right there. All right, t- take your index finger, press down on the second fret, right there, right, right, strum. That's an A chord. Yeah, that sounds kind of fun. The fact that it was thrown upon them <laughs> without warning involuntarily is controversial. All right, everybody pick up the trombone. What? Why'd you, why? I don't want a trombone. What are, what are you doing? <laughs> and we've handed out bagpipes to everyone today. Everybody, squeeze on the bagpipe. Oh, no. No, no, nobody would be that cruel. Breaking sports news. The Boston Celtics made the finals this last year, if you remember, losing to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, excuse me, it's the Celtics. It's a culture, not a costume. Well, their head coach is not going to get to coach for the entire year because he had a an improper, intimate relationship with a staffer. The only reason I bring this up is not for the sports news. It's just we got to figure this out as a society. Um, you know, if he sexually harassed somebody who didn't want it, okay, fine. But if he was just in a grown-up relationship with somebody who was as interested as him, we got to quit treatment like this. You're you're defying human nature. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, the counter to that is if the Celt- I'm sorry, the Celtics organization and again, racism has no place in America against the Irish. Um uh, if the rules were were quite clearly set forward, if you're going to work for this organization, here are the rules. And he violated them. You know, they really had no choice. But uh, your point, I, I'm guessing, would be you got to reconsider those rules. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. She's happy. He's happy. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the story. No, but. I don't know if that's the case. But if it was, come on. 
Yeah. Human nature yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Coming up, uh, one of the greatest, most concise yet complete descriptions of the whole critical race theory thing from a student newspaper, of all things. Um, help you understand that and help you recognize it when it's going by other names in your school district, for instance. And then uh, I love this. Um, this was from who published this? The Hill, actually. Why has fact-checking disappeared under Biden? <laughs> you know the answer already, right? It's that fact-checking was never about fact-checking per se. It was just politics under a different banner. Mm-hmm. It was opinion, often. Fact-checking under President Biden or under President Trump was a bustling business. Seemingly every day, sometimes by the hour of the 45th president's every word was scrutinized, which all comes with the job. But under President Biden, fact-checkers are enjoying what feels like an extended vacation or have simply checked out. <laughs> cetera, et cetera. Take CNN fact-checker Daniel Dale as a prime example of apathy around holding the president the current president accountable. From June 19 to November 20. So that's 17 months, roughly. Dale appeared or was mentioned on CNN more than once per day, according to Mediaite. Estimating conservatively, that's more than 500 appearances or mentions on the national network in the span of just 16 months. 500 appearances. But Dale has become the fact-checker version of Edward Snowden under Biden. He's almost impossible to find these days. In fact, Dale has not conducted even one fact-check of the president since June. Oh, wow. Not a single one. Wow. So none of that stuff about the Inflation Reduction Act that didn't have anything to do with inflation was worth fact-checking? Okay. Oh, I got a list. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, of course, Biden supporters might insist that Dale simply doesn't have any material to work with. But that's not true. In August, Biden declared that inflation in July was zero, despite the number being near a 40-year high at 8.3%. Last week, Biden claimed the Inflation Reduction Act, which numerous studies have concluded will do almost nothing to reduce inflation, has already, quote, helped reduce inflation at the kitchen table. In a related story, food prices rose again in August with the consumer price index up 10.6% year over year. So they skyrocketed prices at the kitchen table, unrelated to the act. But there are many other examples from the summer, but you get the point. The most powerful man in the country needs to be held accountable for his words and actions, particularly in an election year. But fact checkers and mainstream outlets refuse to do it. Situation even worse when it comes to White House Press Secretary KJP. She's been fact-checked once by PolitiFact since June. Wow! This is the same press secretary who claimed earlier this month that people aren't just walking across the country, across the U.S. US southern border, when in fact that's precisely what happens every single day on the ground. Well, did anybody fact-check Kamala on the border is secure? Nope. No, they didn't mention it. They kind of shuffled their feet and, and looked down. Uh, she claimed the administration had halted border wall construction, uh, is doing a lot more than the Trump administration to secure the border. Right. Many opportunities. This is the least shocking thing I've heard today, though. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you missed an hour, get the podcast. Armstrong and This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. 
As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. According to a new survey, 3% of Americans said that they have waited in a line for over eight hours. Well, we're still not opening a second register, said CVS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, a blast. I mentioned I saw a line outside the Apple store. It was like a block long for people wanting to buy the new $1,000 iPhone 14. Well, and uh, more proof that times are tough. The, yeah, it's hard to figure out what's going on with the economy. With that, But then I came across this stat. One in five Americans believe it is worth taking on debt to pay for their new iPhone 14. One in five Americans. Which is fine. I don't care what you do as long as I don't have to bail you out at some point with my tax money. Including when you're old and destitute. Exactly. You don't get to be on the news saying, I, how am I supposed to get by? I deserve a... What is that term Barack Obama used uh, uh, about retirement? Dignified retirement? I deserve a dignified retirement. You took on debt to buy a new phone you didn't need. Yeah. Boy, you don't get me started on that topic. But anyway, so uh, we were talking earlier today about the infamous incident in which a black Duke volleyball player was heckled using racial terms. At uh, Brigham Young University in Utah. Well, a thorough investigation found it did not happen. Meanwhile, BYU was uh, 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 greeted with obscene chants. F the Mormons at Oregon. 
That's terrible. Oregon State for a football game. Oregon State has, a, I'm sorry, University of Oregon. Uh, I just impugned the, the fine folks of uh, the Beavers. I apologize to Beavers everywhere. It was the Ducks who were offensive. But uh, University of Oregon has apologized up and down, said terrible, we're looking into it, we apologize. So, great. Um, but the uh, volleyball player never thing never happened. And this article in BYU's student paper, um, which is absolutely beautifully written, I, this kid has a, a future, um, it talks about the non-incident and the incident and how Duke University made a statement. We unequivocally stand with and champion these players, especially when their character is called into question. Duke Athletics believes in respect, equality, and inclusiveness, and we do not tolerate hate and bias. Uh, They never acknowledged the results of the investigation, but they pledge loyalty to the team that just disseminated unfounded accusations of racism. The validity of the allegations doesn't matter. Duke will unequivocally... Quote, defend their team, even if the incident never happened. These political power games are not uncommon in the framework of critical race theory. Huh. And then this student, author, journalist goes into a brief introduction of critical race theory, which and I've read many, 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 many pages about this. I found this particularly good. Critical race theory posits that all economic, social, political and individual inequalities are results of racism. If taken logically to its full extent, one would then wonder why Indian Americans are the most prosperous ethnic group in America, given the supposed systemic white supremacy. But CRT has deep philosophical and ideological backgrounds that cannot be explained fully in a single article. And you ought to read more, he says. But we can single out various aspects of CRT that are apparent in the reactions to the racial heckling incident. There is a reason that Rachel Richardson, the black uh, volleyball player, uh, Black Menaces, uh, Stop Your Silence, those are all groups, activist groups, uh, immediately advocated for critical race theory or anti-racism training at BYU, even without verifying the allegations. Critical race theory is a fusion of neo-Marxism and postmodernism. Originating from French intellectuals in the 60s and 70s, postmodernism is the radical skepticism and criticism of meta narratives, which we'll explain later, but in and enlightenment reasoning, they're anti the enlightenment, if you can believe that. Typical postmodern ideas claim that logic, reason, speech, and discourse are all manifestations of power. While this may seem unclear to the reader, these tenets of postmodernism have been implemented directly into critical race theory. To summarize, there is no truth, there's no fact. Data, research, science, objective observation, they don't exist. If you claim they exist, you're a liar and a racist. Because you just think they exist because you've been brought up in a particular society, and your science is your truth. But other societies have other truths. Hence the whole thing James Lindsay's been railing about, that 2 plus 2 can equal 5. Right. Right. Uh, let's see. Which so, is, uh, yeah, in the beginning, <laughs> well, you start down that road and it gets very, uh, your brain starts to cramp up. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, in the beginning paragraph of their book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction, these folks uh, uh, who are prominent critical race theorists state the following Unlike traditional civil rights, which embrace incrementalism and step by step progress, CRT questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So, 
very briefly. They are anti-traditional civil rights. They question equality. They question legal reasoning. They question enlightenment rationalism and the neutral principles of constitutional law. They want to tear them all up. With the ultimate goal being chaos? See, that's the interesting thing. The I think the original critical theory people, having read a lot about this, I think they're your typical philosophy major types and philosophers and academics. They, they think and they think and they think and they come up with these structures and theories and they argue about it. Uh, and then they grow long white beards and they drink cocktails and they go to parties and eventually they croak. And maybe somebody reads their books a, a few years down the line, but probably not. They grow long white beards. <laughs> Including the women. <laughs> and, and so, but it was interesting but harmless. But then, and James Lindsay and Helen Pluckrose have written some great stuff about this in their book, Cynical Theories, but um, <clears throat> as it is, it has elements of neo-Marxism in it. And so what it becomes is a really effective tool for tearing everything down that you want to replace because you pick and you pick and you pick. You invent being offended by various aspects of the language being used. The term problematic, that's that's key to this whole thing. And so... While it was a useless but harmless philosophical theory at first, it's become an incredibly effective tool, if you're vicious enough, in destroying virtually anything from constitutional rights to the legal system to uh, police forces to whatever, um, because you want to replace it with something more handy to your neo-Marxist beliefs. Now, the whole, uh, how do you explain this? The question of lived realities yeah. is really key to this whole question. And we'll get to it because it's super important to understand this. After a quick word from our friends at Simply Safe Home Security, not only the best home security, but the most reasonably priced and the simplest. It's all those things. It's not a compromise. Yeah. The fact that Simply Safe can be so good for about a dollar a day, it's it's just fantastic and no long-term contracts or anything like that. A lot of security systems, I know somebody very well who's uh, who's locked in for 2 years on a security system they don't use at all. Happens all the time. Not with Simply Safe. They they trust the fact that you're going to like it enough they don't need to lock you into a long contract. They're 24/7 professional monitoring with Simply Safe agents there to help you get through whatever emergency it is. Sometimes even staying on the line with you until help arrives. All for all that for about a dollar a day. Yeah, the people are great, and the gear is great. Like I always say, check out the uh, high-def night vision outdoor camera. It's wireless. You can install it anywhere. Keep the randos away from your stuff and your family. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today. You can claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Coming up, how eight glasses of water, 10,000 steps, and other healthy guidelines are BS. Stay tuned. Of course. So this whole, uh, uh, in critical race theory and introduction to the book, legal storytelling has its own chapter. It's a method in science and law that communicates the lived realities of those affected by systemic racism. It's a hyper-emotional analysis of fact. An example of CRT storytelling, Jesse Smollett 
who claimed that two men attempted to lynch him while calling him racial slurs and saying this is a MAGA country. The outrage from this incident was similar to the coverage of the media claiming Rachel Richardson, the volleyball player story, was evidence of systemic and institutional racism. Today, Jesse Smollett still sticks to his false narrative. To him, it's reality. It's his reality. And one of the key tenets of this is that there is no objective reality. If you believe it to be true, if you are offended, what was said was offensive. Correct. It doesn't matter if you're neurotic, psychotic, you're a racist yourself. Easily butthurt. Easily butthurt. EPH, as we say in the uh, you know professional community. Um, it, that doesn't matter. Your emotion is the truth, which is fine if you're a three-year-old. For adults, that doesn't work so well. But they would say, oh, that's because, number one, you're a white man. Number two, you grew up in a society that values this so-called enlightenment reasoning. My society doesn't. You, you can't claim reasoning and truth. How dare you, you racist? We've talked about this and how it's affected high school and college debates. We're in some of the debating world that has taken hold. So you can't show up to the debate with facts because your lived experience are your facts. And there's no uh, there's no changing that. So and if you have ever observed, whether at a city council meeting or a school board meeting or in an argument on a campus or whatever, the person who screeches the loudest and most angrily wins because their lived experience is obviously very, very powerful and you saying, hey, hey, we need to calm down. Nobody slurred the volleyball player. You lose. You just lost that debate. That's a hell of a way to try to run a society. But again, half of this, half of it, 20%, 80%, I don't know. Part of this is sincerely held by misguided people. Because if you study the history of humanity, you see not one, not ten, but a thousand examples of people falling for a bizarre ideology that in retrospect you think, how could anybody fall for that? So you've got that. They're sincere, but they're misguided. And then you got the cynical side, which I was describing before. It's an incredibly effective acid for dissolving anything you want to change. Because up until roughly now, people were so horrified to be called a racist that they would immediately back down. Sure. Immediately. Now, not so much. Like that poor art director at the Guggenheim we were talking about the other day. Yeah. Who stepped down after charges, and then it turned out the person charging was a complete nut job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, You got to fight this stuff if you can, friends, or it will uh, wash over us. We mentioned that uh, the whole 10,000 steps should be the goal every day is rooted in nonsense. There are a couple other examples of that from health experts that are kind of fun to take a look at. Um, a little more in that whole one in five Americans worth w- believe going into debt for a new iPhone makes sense. That worries me. Yeah. As a taxpayer. A bunch of other things we can get into where they did catch Fat Leonard who escaped in San Diego if you're following that story. All that stuff on the way. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I heard that the latest Gen Z fashion trend is wearing jeans with the button undone. Yeah, which means after Thanksgiving dinner, every uncle's going to be like, Oh, I look like Gigi freaking Hadid over here. What am I, what am I doing? Hey. <laughs> I have seen that. I live in a college town and... Uh, Particularly the college girls, that's a thing. And, uh, you know, midriff, the midriff-bearing look is uh, popular once again. So your your uh, shirt stops here, and then your jeans are unbuttoned. A little no. more alluring than I want out of just my yeah. daily dress. Yes, in normal society, there's only one time you see that. Um, looking at the USA Today today, Ringo Starr stays busy. Good for you if you're the sort of person that clicks on that story, I guess. Tell me more. And you want to know how Ringo Starr is staying busy. That's just... All right. But anyway, underneath that, that is really the big headline. Financially, for all of us, the Fed has gone with another big three-quarter point rate hike all at once, barreling ahead with their third, what they call here, outsize interest rate hike. I don't think it's outsize. I think it's the right size and maybe a little too small. Until we curb inflation, we got to keep going. 
you know how I occupy my time, unlike Ringo? Flip through real estate listings. My house, our current house, is down 1% in the last month, according to one of your major uh, websites. You know, grain of salt. The house we sold a couple of years back is down 2%. Our little place up in the mountains is down 2.5% in the last 30 days. I can keep going if you want. Well, I'm on the sidelines, so I'm hoping to my, jump into the market at some point. Of course, my, doesn't matter how much the house, house goes. Doesn't matter how much the homes go down. If the interest rates keep going up, you can't afford to buy a house. My sister's house is down almost three percent in the last thirty days. Although I must point out again that historically, interest rates are still quite low. Twenty years ago, interest rates hit six, and you people are running out to buy houses as fast as they can. Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of, oh, these higher rates are going to blah, 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 which is true. But the other way to look at it is, all right, we're finally coming down from the Coke binge of practically free credit. Health BS. They go through some of these you may disagree with. I don't know. We mentioned the other day the whole 10,000 steps thing is made up. It actually was invented by an Australian guy or something like that. And it was just because the symbol in the. Language he was using looked cool at 10,000. He invented the pedometer. I mean, it was completely random that he chose 10,000 steps as the goal, but it kind of caught on, and you regularly hear about people getting their 10,000 steps in. It's kind of a funny coincidence that that big round number with a bunch of zeros, that it's fun to see your odometer roll past is uh, the goal. Yeah, they actually say around 7,000 steps is a pretty good goal to hit. And beyond that, it's not uh, clear that you're doing yourself good. Beyond that, your dogs are going to be barking. Drinking eight glasses of water a day is crucial. These doctors say it's not. Gulping down 64 ounces of H2O every day isn't as important as we've been led to believe. Um, Most people get enough water from the foods they eat and other beverages throughout the day. There's nothing magic about eight glasses of water. There's no downside either. You know, I'm like a third again or 40%, something like that, 25% bigger than my wife. I mean, the idea that the both of us need the same, that's just silly. Good that you gave us a percentage, how much bigger you are than your wife, so we can all well, picture that. Well, it's a rough measurement, I mean, height, etc. Uh, I think I think most of us have heard this over the years, right? Eating late at night causes weight gain. It's how much you eat, but when you eat it doesn't really have that much of an effect, they don't think. Hmm. Breakfast is the most important meal. Eh. Doesn't really matter. Again, it's the calories. How many calories did you take in yesterday? It doesn't matter if it was at 8 in the morning or 8 at night or noon. Try to eat less. Organic food is better for you. Organic food sounds like it should be better for you, but there really aren't any studies to back that up. It's a good idea to wash your fruits, your vegetables, and that sort of thing. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of adverse health effects if pesticides are consumed. The bottom line is that people should eat more plant products, fruit, and vegetables, whether it's organic or not. You're less likely to have grasshoppers in your belly. Organic's definitely better for the environment, it points out here. And I think a fair amount of people buy organic for that reason. Because of the way it's produced and what mm-hmm. it does for the environment, not just what it does for your own health. Although a fair lot enough. of organic is phony, as we've talked about a lot through the years, because there's very little regulation on the term organic, so... I accidentally bought some organic bananas the other day. Man, one of them went south on me in a big hurry. Yeah, I buy the organic bananas. I have no idea why, I, but I do. They do not. They they go. They do go south on you fast. Yeah. My son's on a banana kick though. 
He, he goes through them so fast. They're not. They're not gonna. They're not gonna go bad before he gets to them. What was what was he? He was singing. He was quoting a Beck song the other day in the uh, chim, in the age of the chimpanzee. I was a monkey from that Beck song. <laughs> He's oh, eating yes. bananas like crazy. Um, and one more coffee is bad for you. Well, I'm not even going to get started on the coffee studies. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast. Search for Armstrong and Getty on demand. You will probably find it. I'll tell you this. I read a lot about coffee because I drink a lot of coffee. Coffee is great for you. Jeff McCoslin, great thinker. About military stuff, going to kick off Hour 3 talking about the war in Ukraine. Armstrong and- the Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters— with new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.